It was a, a great job done, and I appreciate him and what he means to me, um, and I know to you guys as well. The last time we were in Isaiah, we talked about a people who was backwards towards God, that thought it was okay to do what they want and actually turn completely around and do whatever they felt was right. And in the midst of that, and in the midst of acting that way, Isaiah the prophet sends him a message in verse 18 of chapter 1, and he says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a powerful thought to know that the mouth of the Lord had spoken. And here in Isaiah chapter 2, we see in verse 1, it says, The word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Isaiah is going to go a little bit deeper in his thought. He's going to focus his attention a little bit more to Judah and specifically talking about Jerusalem. And in the first four verses, as we're about to read, something comes up. Something amazing that we know all about. Something that is prophesied way back when that has come about now. I want to read what Isaiah says and then we'll elaborate. Two says, now it now shall come to pass in the latter days or in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people." They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And I want to read verse 5. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. These first four verses of the chapter we see this prophet picturing the future of Israel. And you know what he sends them a picture of, brethren? The church. The church. The glorious house of the Lord would be established on the top of the mountains above the hills. Look at this picture. This isn't a real picture. This is a drawing. But look at this picture. And you see... You see a man in there, he's looking over at the mountains, looking off. You can see him right by that tree if you look real close. Could you imagine the view that this man had? Could you imagine the view that he has as he looks out into the mountains and he sees the tree and the sun either coming up or coming down? I don't know. But what do you think about when you see a beautiful mountain scene? Beauty. Awe. Oh. 
Amen. Think about what Isaiah is trying to illustrate through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says that in the latter days, in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house, it shall be established on the top of the mountains. That last day's phrase, it indicates a prophecy that about an event that would take place in Acts chapter 2. You remember Peter talks about it when the Spirit will be poured out. What is that? That's the beginning of the Christian age. Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 21. It's the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and it's the establishment and the development of the Lord's kingdom here on earth. This passage is parallel to Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It's almost identical in the way that it's worded. But there's something that we'll look at in Micah later on, verses 4 and 5, that bring out a special thought. But when we use this passage from Isaiah, when we use it to look into the future, what we see is the glorious mind of God and the beauty of his work through history. Amen, brethren. We're talking about 700 years almost when this was prophesied. And then it happened. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about it. What we will see is just how important the church is to the Lord. I want us to look at two things and the lesson will be yours. And one of the things that I want us to focus in on is from verse 2. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2. Look at what the Bible says. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow through it. The first point to consider is just that. All nations will flow to it. Why is that? You remember in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. You see it here on the screen. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not only did he give this promise to Abraham, but he reminded Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, verse 4, with this same thought. He says, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to you your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. But he doesn't stop there. God tells Abraham this promise. Uh, God tells Isaac this promise, and he also tells Jacob this same promise, the son, excuse me, the son of Isaac. He says, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now watch what the Bible does. Paul the Apostle, he pulls this connection together so beautiful in Galatians chapter 3. 
Look at what Paul says. He says, therefore know that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying what? In you all nations shall be blessed. Brethren, what is the promise? Why will all the families of the earth be blessed? Because we get to be a part Anybody, whosoever will, gets to be a part of the city of the living God. We get to be a part of the kingdom of God, the church of Christ. But what's in that city? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about what all comes with being a part of the kingdom? I love Hebrews chapter 12. You remember what the Hebrew writer says about it? He says, you, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I appreciate Mark's prayer. He said exactly that. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. When we have become a part of the church, look at all that entails with it. God, angels, those who have gone on before us, Jesus, the mediator and his blood. Amen. Isaiah chapter 2. Now, do these people know exactly what he's talking about? No, they don't know all these details that we do. Man, we're so spoiled. Man, we're so blessed. Why don't we serve him with enthusiasm? Why don't we serve him with a heart that is ready to do his will? Is it because we're like these people? Oh, people stay the same, don't we? We don't change much. See, look at what comes with being a part of this church. It says he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. Look at verse 3. It says, many people shall come up and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Why? Why should we go to the mountain of the Lord? Because that's where we get our information from. We are taught his ways. Amen. And when we're taught his ways, what do we do? We walk in his paths. See, I want to do that as a child of God. How about you? See, I want to do what uh, God tells me to do. I want to learn the truth for the purpose of living out his truth. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 28? We looked at it in class. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. Teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. Baptize them and teach them. When I become a part of the church, when I become a part of the body of Christ, does that mean that I stop and everything's good? No. See, I want to learn his ways. 
See, I want to know how to be like him. So when trials come, when situations uh, get put in front of my face, I know how to handle it the right way so I can be that shining light, so I can be that example, so I can show God just how much I appreciate him for what he's done for me. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. Verse 3 finishes off. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The law here is not the law of Moses because where did the law of Moses come from? Mount Sinai, didn't it? But this is the perfect law of liberty. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Christ's name beginning from Jerusalem. How do I know that? How do I know that's what he's talking about? Because our Lord said it, didn't he, in Luke chapter 24? He says, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Whereat, brethren, beginning in Jerusalem. Oh, this is prophetic. This is a big deal, brethren. We're not just talking about something made up that somebody thought about for a couple years. This is actual inspiration being shown to the brethren. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Amen. Isaiah, in his pleading with the nation of Israel, is trying to get them to realize that they're a part of something special. They're a part of something that will change humanity. Brethren, will we say that it's true that the gospel has changed humanity? <laughs> to make a person go from being in sin, condemned to hell, to being forgiven of their sins and added to the family of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's an incredible move, isn't it? For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And look at what he says down at the end of verse 4. He says, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But what will they do? They'll beat their swords into plowshares and they'll, their spears into pruning hooks. Since the Messiah is the Prince of Peace. We'd say it's true, right? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And we also know that his birth, when he came into this earth, was announced in peace. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace, goodwill toward men. If we know those two things, then we also know that we, as his subjects, as his uh, children, are to seek peace and pursue it. You remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11? He said, those of you who want to seek and have a good life, here's what you do. Let him turn away from evil and do good. And let him seek peace and pursue it. 
Oh, the prophetic words from Isaiah. Oh, how true it is for us in the New Testament. This glorious picture is presented to Israel. And in verse 5, he says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is an appeal to Israel. It's an appeal for them to realize the blessings that they have as being part of his family. If they would only turn back. If they would only turn back to him. Because the reality is God's judgment is coming. Amen. The beauty of what Isaiah does, the beauty of what the prophets do is they weave this, this beautiful story of things in our time and things in actual time. Isaiah does such a beautiful job in talking about things that are coming upon them immediately and things that are going to happen later on. And we see it right here. Look at what happens in verse six. He says, for you have forsaken your people, the house of Jacob. Why, Lord, have you done that? Because they are filled with eastern ways. What an application for us. You know, when I think about how God is dealing with the nation of Israel in this time, you know what uh, we have to realize? Things ain't changed much, have they? People still doing the same thing. We're going to look at it in just a minute. You know HGTV that everybody loves to watch? I mean, I go to the dentist and they said, we got HGTV or we got the other uh, channel to fix your house, Right. I'm like, well, let's just do HGTV, I guess. I mean, hey, guess what Israel was doing? The same thing. They was getting the best wood to put in their house. They was getting the best wood to decorate things. They were doing the same things. Humanity is the same. But our God still loves us, even though we turn our backs on him. You know, Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. He said, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Amen. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What a challenge for us. How are we living what kind of example are we? Do we appreciate what we're a part of? We belong to the city of God. Second thing to consider is a point that I love to talk about. Are we walking in the light of the Lord? And we're not going to go through all of this, but verses 6 through 22, they give a harsh reality to the way that the people were living in accordance with living a light for the Lord. The Lord through Isaiah is trying to make his people see what blessings come by following and obeying him. And he wants them to turn and serve him and have a relationship with him and know that he wants to do this with them. 
You know, I remember this like it was yesterday, and I probably used this illustration before, but I remember my ball coach used to ride me. Man, he used to be on me all the time. To the point where I go home and I was just so discouraged. I thought, I know I'm doing a good job. I know I'm a good athlete. I know that I can do things good. I know that, and I wasn't even trying to have a braggart uh, mind frame, but I knew that I was doing okay. Why are you pushing so hard? So finally, I I got up the confidence, and I went to him, and I asked him, and I said, Coach, man, I got to ask you something. (laughs) I need you to tell me the truth. How come you ride me like that? How come you get on me so hard? And he told me, the day I stop riding you is the day I stop caring. Why does God constantly want us to do The right thing. Because he'll never stop caring about you. Though your sins are as scarlet, I can make them white as snow. Even though you turn your back completely on me and everything else is better, I'll still take you back. Because I love you. But I'm not going to stop telling you about it. I'm not going to stop warning you because one day the reality is, and we know this, brethren, there's a great day coming. A great day coming. Have we neglected who we belong to? What city we've come to? Hey, that's real talk. Verses 6 through 8 talk about this. They are filled with eastern ways. Look at what verse 6 says. They are soothsayers like the Philistines. And they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold. And there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses. And there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. That which their own fingers have made <laughs> soothsayers, traitors, armies, elaborate idols. They had an intoxicating influence on Judah. Does the world we live in, does the world that we're a part of have an intoxicating influence on us? Hey, pick your sin, pick your struggle. What an illustration, and I'm so proud of myself for bringing this out. Intoxicating influence. What's intoxicating you? What's influencing you? Is it gossip? Is it the next best thing? Is it looking cool in front of everybody? Is it being the most popular? Is it making sure that your stories are the best, even if you got to lie about it? Is it making somebody uh, feel sorry for you? And if they don't really feel sorry for you, just add a little bit more, a little bit more of a lie. What is it? Are the things in your life 
the material things that they become number one. Isaiah warned against this. Verse 11, he says, the lofty looks of a man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. There's a day coming. Proud looks and loftiness of a man. They hadn't learned that pride comes before the fall, right? Have we learned that? You know what? When I read this, I had to take a step back. I had to think about my life. I had to think about the things that I'm putting number one because in reality, all that matters is pleasing the Lord. Amen? Verse 13 through 16, it says, Upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, Upon all the high mountains and upon all the hills that are lifted up, on every high tower, upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarship, upon and upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. These were all the things that Israel admired. It was all the things that they had exalted in their minds and they were being put before God, the one who will judge accordingly. Look at verse 18. It says, but the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord. Verse 20, in that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship, to the moles and bats. Go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. One day, the day is coming. And the only way to stay away from this, the only way to get away from the terror of the Lord is to be in the city. Is that really a big deal? Does it really bother us? The things that we say and the things that we do or have we been lulled to sleep by Satan? Oh, it ain't no big deal, man. Just serve him. You're doing a great job. You don't need to get better at anything. Actually, you're probably one of the best Christians I've ever seen. These idols, they were the root of other evils. Does that sound familiar? I love what Psalm 135, 18 says. It says, those who make idols, the ones who make them are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. We're talking about a wood idol back in these days. What can my clothes do for me? What can my house do for me? What can my car do for me? What can my money do for me except cause me to want something more? But what can Jesus do for me? 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled. When I try to do God's will, he'll give me something else to do. And you know what? When I see that face of somebody hurting and I say, when I hear him say, hey, you know what? I've never heard anything like that before. But can you tell me more about this Jesus guy? I'll never forget the lady's comment who never believed in God, but told me, I'm starting to like this Jesus guy. <laughs> me too. Me too. Isaiah ends this chapter with a very powerful thought, brethren. And really the application for the lesson Oh, highlight this in your Bible. Remember this verse. Use this verse. Pray on this verse. Isaiah tells the people to sever, to cut yourself completely off from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils. For of, who, for of what account is he? <laughs> I know I'm good. I know I got it under control. You can't tell me nothing. I got it all figured out. When in reality, he don't know anything. If he's not following the Lord. This is an awesome transition into chapter 3. And we're not going to go there. I know y'all want to, but we're going to stop. Because the emphasis... And chapter 3 is going to be put on the leaders of Israel and how they were leading the people. See, what does Isaiah say? Sever yourselves from such a man. Sever yourselves from people who will not take you in the right way. I want you to consider this. The verses tell us when we are putting ourselves around people that could care less about the blessings of God, what do you think is going to happen to your mind frame? When we surround ourselves with people who could care less about really what goes on at the church and the things that are happening, what do you think is going to happen to you? See, Micah... When he finished this thought in Micah chapter 4, look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. He says, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. And look at what he says. For all people walk each in the name of his own God. <laughs> Didn't you hear Joshua say this before? But as for me and my house, you can do whatever you want, but as for me and my crew, we're serving the Lord. Look at what Micah says. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever and ever and ever. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to leave you with these thoughts. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Brethren, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. And I want you to hear this. Please listen to this. He says, I'll dwell in them and walk among them and I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. And I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, how thankful I am that I'm God's son. How about you? Will you show it this week? Will you show your appreciation for the kingdom that you belong to? Will you show people this week that you're different and you're separate? And you're called out that you really are a part of the ecclesia, the called out people. Hey, be strong, be brave. Know that you can do all things through Christ. You ain't no underdog. You belong to the king and he's big time, <laughs> big time. I love y'all, brethren. Pray for me and I'm going to pray for you. How about that? Let's make it a week like never before, a week where we can look at somebody and say, yeah, I'm going to talk to them this week. This week, I'm going to talk to them. Maybe you're here today and you need prayers. Maybe you're here today and you need to obey the gospel. Please render obedience to the king today. Become his child. Let him forgive you of your sins and, and put you on a path that will take you somewhere that you never thought you could go. If you need to obey the gospel, if you need prayers, whatever you need, please come right now. Together we stand and sing. Amen.